Hello, everyone, and welcome to SRNA's Ask the Expert podcast series. Today's podcast is entitled Helping Children and Families Manage and Cope with Stress During COVID-19. My name is Gigi DeFibri, and I will be co-moderating this podcast along with Rebecca Whitney. SRNA is a nonprofit focused on support, education, and research of rare neuroimmune disorders. You can learn more about us on our website at wearesrna.org. This podcast is being recorded and will be made available on the SRNA website and for download via iTunes. During the call, if you have any additional questions, you can send a message through the chat option available with GoToWebinar. Our 2020 Ask the Expert podcast series are sponsored in part by Alexion, Genentech, and Viella Bio. Alexion is a global biopharmaceutical company focused on serving patients with severe and rare disorders through the innovation, development, and commercialization of life-transforming therapeutic products. Their goal is to deliver medical breakthroughs where none currently exist, and they are committed to ensuring that patient perspective and community engagement is always at the forefront of their work. Founded more than 40 years ago, Genentech is a leading biotechnology company that discovers, develops, manufactures, and commercializes medicines to treat patients with serious and life-threatening medical conditions. The company, a member of the Roche Group, has headquarters in South San Francisco, California. For additional information about the company, please visit www.gene.com. Viela Bio is dedicated to the development and commercialization of novel life-changing medicines for patients with a wide range of autoimmune and severe inflammatory diseases. The company's approach, which targets the underlying molecular pathogenesis of a disease, is aimed at enabling the development of more precise therapies, identifying patients more likely to respond to treatment, and pursuing multiple indications for each product candidate. For additional information about Viela, please visit vielabio.com. For today's podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Lana Harder and Ana Hernandez. Dr. Lana Harder completed her doctoral training at the University of Texas in Austin, Texas, and completed her pre-doctoral internship at the Kennedy Krieger Institute and Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. She completed her postdoctoral fellowship in pediatric neuropsychology at Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Since 2008, Dr. Harder has served as a clinical neuropsychologist at Children's Medical Center Dallas, CMCD, and as assistant professor of psychiatry and assistant professor of neurology and neurotherapeutics at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. She is board certified in clinical neuropsychology and specializes in the neuropsychological evaluation of pediatric patients from infancy to young adults with disorders of the central nervous system. Dr. Harder serves as the neuropsychologist for the CMCD Pediatric Demyelinating Diseases Clinic. Her research interests include cognitive and psychosocial outcomes for pediatric multiple sclerosis, transverse myelitis, including acute flaccid myelitis, acute acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, clinically isolated syndrome, and neuromyelitis optica. Anna Hernandez earned her master's in clinical psychology in 2003 from Barry University in Miami Shores, Florida, and became a certified brain injury specialist in 2011. She completed her internship at Children's Psychiatric Center in Miami, Florida, where she worked with children, adolescents, and families 
in a variety of contexts, including individual and group therapy, as well as psychological testing. She joined Children's Medical Center in 2007 as an assessment specialist in the Pro Family, Cent Family Center for the Care of Brain and Nerve Injuries, a clinical research program for children with brain and nerve injuries. She presently works within neuropsychology, conducting neurobehavioral testing for research, looking at a variety of conditions that affect neuropsychological functioning and neurodevelopment, such as pediatric traumatic brain injury, extreme prematurity, low birth weight, pediatric cardiac arrest, and rare brain disorders. Welcome and thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Um, it is really uh, special to be able to be with our SNRA community at this time, a community um, I've spent a lot of time with over uh, many years. And I just, before we get started with our questions, um, wanted to acknowledge that we're all doing the very best we can in a truly extraordinary situation. Um, unfortunately, there's no textbook way to manage ourselves and our families during a pandemic. None of us were prepared for this experience. Um, and like so many of life's stressors, this can really bring out the worst in us, but it can also bring out really amazing parts of humanity. I think we've seen that um, in, in our homes and in the community um, over these uh, last few weeks. Today's podcast is uh, hopefully uh, going to normalize, and it's meant to normalize the wide-ranging emotions and experiences we're all enduring, but to also highlight when additional help may be needed. Um, we also hope to leave you all with practical tips and resources, but want to remind everyone listening, as well as ourselves, um, that no one will do this perfectly. There simply isn't a perfect or right way to do this. We are all in this together and sharing information, I believe, is one of the best ways we can support each other. So I want to thank everyone who have uh, submitted questions. Thanks to those of you tuning in. Um, and, and thanks again to the SRNA for coordinating this and for having us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Harder. We truly appreciate those words and um, definitely take them to heart. And as a as a parent of a child with with one of these rare disorders and just a parent in general right now it's it is an unprecedented time as we continue to keep hearing so i really truly appreciate everything that that you've said mm -hmm. um, with that we'll go ahead and, and start with the questions that have come in from our community and and the first one we'll start off with is what are some coping strategies for stress that adults are experiencing due to covid19 and what about coping strategies for kids um, what a what a great question. Um, I'll uh, start with this one. Um, I think you know a lot of us are spending time on how to protect ourselves um, through physical distancing, but I think it's also a time to think about protecting ourselves psychologically. I think it's important to remind all of us we're the gatekeepers for what comes into our homes in terms of of news, for example. Um, it can get to be a lot, right? Hearing. Um, the news. Um, and I think it's easy to um, have that tendency to want to be glued to the news and hear the play-by-play, -play, but I think it's um, really important to, to monitor ourselves um, in response to that information, as well as our family members. So um, some general statements about coping that I think are, are good for us to be thinking about and, and really reviewing right now have to do with going back to basics, thinking about the things that serve to keep us well um, in terms of our health and also our mental health. 
And so these basics are um, as important as ever right now. And it means things like getting a full night of sleep. Um, we always say no less than seven hours, but for our um, young folks and even um, those with uh, medical conditions, more than seven hours is, is often indicated. Um, this also has to do with, with our diet and moving our bodies. Um, so the things we should normally do, we especially need to do now. Um, one of the differences though, is that we need to be a lot more intentional. We don't have our usually daily schedules to guide us. We don't have the tardy bell that's gonna go off at a certain time at school or um, that we're rushing to a meeting at work. So um, it, it may not be natural for us to impose structure to the day, um, but it is something that I think um, will go a long way for us right now. And I'll say a few things about that, but as we go through more questions, I think we're gonna be addressing um, coping strategies really throughout this entire podcast. Um, just a, a few things about um, daily schedules. You know, I've heard a lot of people say we set a, a daily schedule and we had every hour really um, outlined and then quickly threw that right out the window, right? It didn't work. It was too much, too much change too fast. Um, and so one idea that might be a little more um, feasible would just be thinking of your anchors. What are your anchors in a day, right? We all have meal times. Uh, we might need to take a medication, um, daily hygiene, like a shower, our bedtime, our wake time use those anchors to really guide you through a day because otherwise it can be easy to get lost in um, what time it is. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are making jokes about what day it is. It, it's hard to remember that sometimes um, in this new um, situation that we're all in. So um, thinking through what those anchors might be um, as a starting point and using those to guide you. Again, realizing um, it would be hard to follow any uh, daily schedule uh, perfectly, uh, but schedules are in really important, especially for kids um, to have some predictability to, the, to their day. And I think it's also helpful um, for adults um, as well who are trying to continue to work and meet deadlines and take care of um, all of those around us. Um, again, we're gonna talk a lot more about these um, ideas as we move ahead, one final thing I'll say about coping strategies is um, if you haven't ever before, um, now is a good time to um, tune in to the inner voice in your minds. I think we, most of us have this um, and think about how to replace any um, negative thoughts or messages with positive ones. This isn't something that's gonna happen um, overnight in a, an hour and afternoon. Um, this is something we really have to practice and, and be intentional about. And I point this out because just like sleep and these um, really basic fundamentals of um, staying well, um, our thoughts, have a lot to do with how we feel um, and behave. And so I just wanna um, mention that here. Um, and again, we'll talk more as we move through our questions. Great, thank you. I think that was a, a really good overview. And I, you know, I, I think as we get through the questions, you know, it'll, it'll be great to, to learn more about these different strategies. Um, so, you know, if someone has a child, um, you know, at home and, you know, they're kind of unsure about how to talk to them about you know, the, the issue right now, COVID-19 and what social distancing means and, and why it's important. You know, how would you suggest someone talks to their child about these particular issues? Thank you, Gigi, for the question. And this is Anna. This is such an important question and a concern on every parent's mind. 
So I think the important thing here is to kind of let your child's question guide you and to try to keep explanations age appropriate. Always, you know, all the while being truthful, but not offering unnecessary details or facts. So this is especially true with, with very young children, early elementary school children. So for example, while you might explain um, that the coronavirus is making people very sick, you know, it's not necessary to provide details about the number of deaths. So that's the kind of the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So with this age group, you can um, provide uh, brief, simple information that balances COVID-19 facts with appropriate reassurances that, you know, adults uh, that care for them are, are there to help and to keep them healthy and to take care of them uh, if they do get sick. And so we can also give simple examples of the steps people are, are taking every day to stop germs and stay healthy, such as washing hands. You know, we can use language such as, you know, adults are working hard to keep you safe. Something else to consider also with this age group is that, you know, this age group tends to be the least vocal about, you know, what they're thinking and what they're feeling, worries that they might have uh, on their mind, but they're certainly very perceptive and they're noticing all the changes around them. So with this age group, it's important to schedule some playtime uh, to really give them, you know, the opportunity to express their thoughts and feelings through their play. And, you know, we got to remember that children feel empowered if they can control some part of, of their life. So when you play, allow them, you know, to, to take the lead. Um, there's, there's a publication that I wanted to recommend that I thought was really cool. And I found just the other day, it's called Time for Kids. And it's a really great publication for children from kinder through sixth grade. And it touches on a variety of social issues in a format that, that keeps reading really interesting for kids. And so they have several, are discovered that they have several articles on the coronavirus by grade level. So it makes it kind of easy for parents to find, you know, which, which one works best. And so the best news about this is that their digital library is free uh, for anybody interested for the rest of the school year. And, you know, we can provide these, uh, these sources to you uh, later to share with your listeners. Um, the next group are the upper elementary and early middle school children. This group of, of kids often is more vocal in asking questions about their safety and what will happen if COVID-19 spreads in their area. And they may need help uh, separating reality from rumor and fantasy. Um, so this age group, you know, we got to think about they, they may already have access to electronic devices and social media. So it becomes especially important to help them tease out fact, fact from fiction. I mean, we often have to do this for ourselves as we uh, kind of, you know, surf the web and get on social media. Um, at this age, it's also... Uh, you know, it's also possible to talk about how our, you know, national, state and community leaders are working, you know, to keep them safe and to prevent germs from, from spreading. Um, there's also, so then we have the upper and middle high school students. So here issues can be discussed in a little more deep, uh, you know, uh, give more details and more depth. 
Um, you know, you can refer them to appropriate uh, sources of COVID-19 facts. The CDC is a really a good resource. And with this age group, as with all age groups, to provide honest and accurate factual information about the current status of COVID-19 and engage them in decision-making about family plans, scheduling, and uh, helping with chores at home. Um, there's also a downloadable book that I want to talk about for kids written by Malia Jones, who is a social epidemiologist, and it's available for free. So the title of the book is a kid's book about COVID-19, and it focuses on facts like hand washing, how a virus works, how germs spread, and, and how we can work together. And uh, we'll, we'll provide, you know, how to, how to get this resource too, so your listeners can, can access this. Thank you so much, Dr. Hernandez. That was incredibly helpful, and especially speaking with the different age groups of, of children. And um, we'll be able to share those links too uh, when we put the podcast available for listening on our website. We'll make sure to link to these resources that you've mentioned as well. So thank you very okay. much. Um, another question, and you know, including you know the different age groups, I know in my own household, I've had my my college age child have to come home because school has been closed, and then I have my other children. Um, my husband's not working now, and so we're all in the same house. Do you have any um, suggestions? Are there any ways families can adjust to quarantining in the same household when we're just not accustomed to spending so much time? together. It's so much more than what we're, we're used to. Oh, yes. Uh, this is a, a big one and a really good question. Um, and as you're saying, um, it's not typical or even natural to be in the same space with others for such long periods of time. I, I like the example you gave of a, a college student being home. This is a student who's been out in the world and independent and now is coming back um, home. And so, um, while there can be really a lot of positives to being with family, um, this is this is a lot, uh, and and it's a lot for the different members of the family uh, to cope with. Uh, probably affects them in, in different ways. Um, so you know, thinking about this um, this idea is how do we create some kind of quote unquote distance to allow um, you know us to get that space that we need that is healthy for us to have actually, um, is thinking about um, encouraging individualized activities, whether that is inside or outside the home. So instead of thinking that, you know, going back to the schedule example, we don't need a schedule that everybody does all the activities together, but actually there's a lot of um, built in time for people to kind of have their own space and quiet time if that's possible. Um, so uh, designating time for individual activities, even getting outside uh, while practicing our physical distancing, um, you know, maybe taking a drive if that's uh, relevant or appropriate um, can help kind of create some of this space. Um, maybe uh, space, you get space when you're in the, the bathroom or taking a shower. I mean, for some people, it, it may come down to those moments um, that are, are brief in duration, but can really um, make a difference. Um, 
having designated areas in the house for each person, um, I've heard uh, can be really helpful. I've heard this feedback from some uh, patients and families. So for example, a place for kids to do their schoolwork. Also wanna acknowledge uh, space limitations. So these areas may not be a constant area for the same person, but might be assigned to different people at different times. So that goes back to um, being uh, creative and flexible, um, but really acknowledging um, that this isn't typical or natural for any of us. And um, again, being intentional about kind of creating that space um, even in, in the same walls. Thank you, I think those were some really great suggestions. Um, so are there also any techniques uh, for, for example, meditation that you would recommend in this situation that might be helpful with kind of dealing with stress or anxiety about everything that's going on? Yes, I think that um, now more than ever, we have access to so many resources and we are almost bombarded by all of these self-care tips, which in and of itself can be um, so overwhelming, so overwhelming to kind of uh, tease through and figure out what really works for us. But I wanted to, I love this question, and I wanted to really talk about breathing, uh, which goes hand in hand with meditation. So, you know, many of us aren't conscious of how we are breathing, and it's really important now more than ever because we are all collectively as a society experiencing so much stress and so much anxiety due to COVID-19 and, and everything that is happening around us. So, you know, we've all had to reshape our lives and find new ways to navigate all these new things with, you know, making it all work with work and relationships, obligations to our family, and then, you know, having to take care of ourselves. And because it's so difficult to carve out that time for self for self care, I wanted to focus on something simple and, and easy to do because we do it already. We just have to remember to do it the right way. So I wanna talk a little bit about the mechanics of breathing. So there's two types of breathing patterns. There's the, you know, the thoracic breathing, also called the chest breathing, and then the diaphragmatic or abdominal breathing. So when people are feeling anxious, they tend to take rapid, shallow breaths that comes directly from the chest. And so this type of breathing is, is called um, thoracic or chest breathing. When, when you're feeling anxious, you may not necessarily be, even be aware that you're breathing this way. And so a shallow breath lowers oxygen levels in the blood, which you know your body senses. And so breathing becomes a little faster and shallower, oxygen levels fall a little more, the heart begins to race, and the body feels a little more stressed, and it's a vicious cycle, but one that we can learn how to break. So the easiest way to determine your breathing pattern is to put one hand on your upper abdomen, like near the level of your waist, and then the other in the middle of your chest. And so as you breathe, Notice which hand raises the most. If you're breathing properly, your abdomen should expand and contract with each breath, and the hand on it should rise the most. So it's really important to be aware of these differences during stressful and anxious time when we're more likely to take those shallow breaths uh, or breathe from the chest. So Gigi and Rebecca, if, if it's okay, if we can 
take a moment to try this sip, simple breathing exercise on air a couple times. Is that okay? Sure, sure. All right, so you know, if we can all just kind of get comfortable wherever we are. We may be sitting or standing or, or lying down. We can start by placing one hand on your chest and then the other on your belly. And inhale slowly and deeply through your nose. We can do that now. And then remember to keep your shoulders relaxed. You should feel your abdomen expanding and your chest should rise very little. We can exhale slowly through your mouth as you blow air out and press your lips slightly, but keep your jaw relaxed. You may hear a soft whooshing sound as you exhale. And we can do this again. We inhale slowly and deeply through your nose and exhale slowly through your mouth. And so this is this is the type of, you know, simple breathing that that can really help, you know, especially when when feeling anxiety. You can repeat this breathing exercise because you know, this breath this kind of breathing doesn't come natural to us. So it's something that you know, we have to work on and and we can start this kind of breathing by, you know, repeating it four or five times and then kind of slowly build up to a couple of minutes. And, you know, this will prime you for any meditation exercise that that you choose to do. Um, there, there are two meditation apps that I really like because they're easy to use. They have short meditation ex, uh, exercises and you can access many meditations and guided meditations for free. So the first one is breathe, and it's spelled a little different. It's B-R-E-E-T-H-E, -E -E, and the other is Insight Timer. Um, I think your your listeners might might find these helpful. Dr. Harder, do you have anything to add here? I think that was a great overview, and I liked the um, the real example you gave, and just what Anna did, um, kind of walking you through, making you aware of your breath and the way that you're breathing um, is how a lot of these uh, meditation apps work. Um, and so I, you know, I think for a lot of people, especially starting out on this, having that guided meditation or guided breathing um, is, is really key. Um, I will also mention for anyone who might be on Audible, um, which is where um, some people get audiobooks, they actually have some free meditation um, tracks available in there. So I'll, I'll add that. These can be searched on YouTube as well. Um, so there's a lot of uh, information freely available uh, for, for folks um, who are wanting to try this out. And I think now more than ever, it's important to take this brief retreat from the day, even if it's for only a few moments. And we realize um, that, that just getting those few moments can be a, a challenge for, for a lot of people. Thank you both so much. The the breathing, just the reminder to do it is. I did the exercise along with you, and it does make a difference, and mm -hmm. it's important to remember that. Yes, um, something I forget about often, and um, appreciate those resources that you mentioned as well. Um, I know I have used Insight Timer myself, so mm -hmm. I I can attest oh, to that being helpful too. So, um, thank you again.
Um, continuing on with our questions, we have kind of a, a group of questions um, that came in that were relatively similar, um, mostly about uh, adjusting to homeschooling with so many schools being closed and parents now having to be more of a teacher for their kids than ever before. Um, how do how do they balance the stress of that? Um, the stress on the parents as well as the kids. Um, one had noted, I am not a teacher, <laughs> but I'm having to do homeschooling with my kids and it's not going well. We butt heads, we get frustrated with one another, and it usually ends in a meltdown. Are my expectations too high? My child struggles with school already and has a 504 and IEP in place, but I'm concerned this will cause them to backslide in their education. How do I not stress about this and where do I draw the line for us? And I think that's such a huge point, especially for our community when so many of our kids have these various plans in place um, to help them, you know, access school, um, do all of these other things that um, the, the school is usually assisting with and it's that mm -hmm. burden has now shifted back onto the parent and accessing the curriculum and whatnot. Right, Rebecca, this is these are such important questions and things to consider. I think that, you know, if we had the ability to hear our listeners right now, we would hear a collective, yes, how do we do that? And, you know, the, the truth is, as, as uh, Dr. Harder uh, referred to earlier, is that, you know, there's there's no recipe to follow here. There's no cookie cutter way of making things work perfectly because each family is is different and unique and and we all come with our, you know, different sets of strengths and weaknesses. So, but with that in mind, there's things that we can do um, to help with this. And so, first of all, we can begin by acknowledging that, you know, you're not alone in this experience. Many of us have taken on new roles, like, like that of teacher, that we're not super familiar or comfortable with. And on top of that, we're having to fulfill our work responsibilities. So, as Dr. Harder mentioned earlier, keeping a daily routine, just going back to basics, right? Just setting a time for you and your children to wake up in the morning and get going, um, taking time to eat um, and to sleep. It sounds basic, but you know, even, even these daily events have changed for us. Um, the second thing that, that um, might help is keeping a schedule. So at this point, many of us are in like week three or maybe even week four of distance learning and now have a better idea of when our kids need us the most. So as a family, it might help to sit down and talk about, you know, what schedule might work best. So, for example, carving out a little time in the morning and the afternoon after your children have started to work where you can you know, sit with them to answer school-related questions. So this may help, you know, reduce some of the, you know, the interruptions that we may get throughout your, your work day. And then if, you know, if there's two caregivers in the home, this responsibility might be shared. This is not always the case, but if there is, um, this, this responsibility, you know, might be shared. So, also, some schools have um, sent out suggested schedules and times to work on certain subjects. Um, you know, but keep in mind that this may not work for, for every child. So when you sit to create a schedule, enlist their help and get their thoughts and opinions about their school day. 
you know, perhaps instead of, you know, tackling reading in the morning, your kiddo would like to do math first, allowing them to kind of take part in creating a schedule that works best for them and for the family will give them, you know, a better sense of, of control over their environment. And, you know, this is really important given, given you know, all the uncertainty and unpredictability, um, you know, that we're having to contend with. And then the next, you know, idea I want to talk about is being flexible. Like know that what may work one week may not necessarily work the next week. And that being rigid about schedules may only lead to, you know, more stress and more anxiety. So as a family, you may have to think about going back to the drawing board and making some changes to, you know, this great schedule that you created last week, but, some, you know, somehow is not working this week. Um, and then something else I wanted to talk about is being kind. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, being kind to others. Yes, this is important. But the, the kind of kindness I'm talking about is, you know, the one where you're being kind to yourself uh, during this time. So, you know, when things don't work out the way that you planned, give yourself a break, you know, be kind to yourself and, you know, try to, you know, think about that, you know, we're all trying, you know, to get things right. And there's no, you know, perfect way uh, to kind of deal with, with all of this. And then um, talking about kind of that second part of, of the question where, um, you know, some parents are having to homeschool, they're feeling frustrated, um, they're experiencing meltdowns. And, you know, they're having to, um, you know, their children have 504s and IEPs uh, in place. And, and, you know, they're finding it really frustrating uh, to kind of implement, um, you know, e-learning. So what I would say to this is when you feel things beginning to heat up, uh, a meltdown coming in, take a step back and, and take a break. And... Um, you know, try try to avoid those those power struggles. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the challenges of of distance uh, learning or or e-learning. So, you know, many of us as parents, many of us as parents now have this new role as as teacher, and you know, learning at home has brought on a whole set of new challenges from you know technical challenges learning how to use devices in a new way learning much more about you know internet connection and bandwidth than we ever cared to know learning how to navigate different platforms that schools are using to provide instruction you know like google classroom zoom loom seesaw padlet it seems like every day you know there's something new that we have to learn there's also, you know, the the issue of space, uh, finding a quiet spot uh, for, you know, for kids to learn where, you know, it's conducive to learning. For some families, this may be simple, but for others, it's a real challenge to find a quiet space for maybe one, two, you know, three or more children living at home. And then finally playing that role of teacher, right? So it's likely that the way that we learned, uh, for example, things like division is very different to the way they are learning division. And, you know, you can add multiplication, addition, and subtraction to that too. So, so you know, many of us are scrambling to understand how they do things. 
so that we can then, you know, turn around and help them. So, and this is especially frustrating if your kiddo has a different learning style and is used to supports at schools that she, you know, he or she does not have at home, or, you know, that we and we as parents don't know how to give. Um, and so those are some, you know, some of, some of the important things to acknowledge as we take on these new roles. But I do have to say that, you know, the first, so, the, the first thing to know uh, about all of this is that your school district um, is providing education. So if they're providing educational services to the general student population, then your school has to make every effort to the greatest extent possible to provide services to, to students with disabilities according to their you know, individualized, individualized education plan or IEP or 504 plans. So what we have to kind of remember and be flexible about is that, you know, this may look a little different in that the way that the services are delivered may not look the same. Perhaps these may be taking place virtually rather than in person to maintain, you know, the social distancing um, uh, mandate. From personal experience, I can share that communication, flexibility, cooperation with your child's school is very important. Um, and some other tips, um, you know, that I'd like to talk about is, you know, knowing how to reach the school's 504 or special ed coordinator or counselor, you know, uh, discussing with them your specific difficulties and asking for what supports might be available. So, you know, for example, they might help schedule some one-to-one -one, one time with your child's teacher to answer questions or go over a you know particularly difficult lesson. Um, you might also request some instructional coaching to know how to tackle uh, learning uh, or you know a particular assignment. Um, also, I wanted to talk about the importance of having a copy of your child's IEP. And if you don't have one, request a copy uh, be sent to you and review it. Um, there's a lot of important information to consider in there. There, and I know that um, you know part of that question uh, had to do with uh, concerns over you know having a, a regression in their child's education or back you know backsliding. Um, if you have your IEP, you can kind of you know consider what their present level of academic achievement is and 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 their performance. And you know if you have concerns about a regression in skills, to talk to your child's school team. You know perhaps a, a reevaluation upon returning to school might might be in order, where you can you know look at regression of skills and any com you know compensatory educational services that your child might might require. Um, and you know th those are some of some of the things to to keep in mind that might hope hopefully help you know some of your listeners who are having to take on this this additional role. Great, thank you. Um, and then you know how can parents of kids uh, you know who have extra needs due to their diagnosis? you know, balance caring for that child and also caring for their other children? So I, I know this is a topic um, we've discussed quite a bit in our community. Um, 
uh, a bit at camp and even working with um, the patients and families in my clinic uh, here in Dallas. I think uh, more than ever, this is a significant issue to consider, right? We're all under the same roof um, and any um, uh, focus that's going toward a child with special needs might be um, uh, especially noticed or observed uh, right now when we're all under the same roof. And I know I've said the word intentional many times, but I think it does go back to that um, to uh, carve out, dedicate time um, to spend with with all of um, the children in the home. And so, um, you know, it, this may be something that is doable each day, but maybe a more feasible um, expectation might be um, on a weekly basis. Um, so, you know, if possible, consider um, doing that special activity with each child in the family, um, maybe that one-on-one -on -one time, and also include um, your child uh, with the rare neuroimmune disorder in that because um, time spent on caregiving is really different than um, time spent on a, a preferred activity or something, a special time with the parent. So um, kind of giving each child that individualized time. And now I'll follow that by saying this might not be possible and that is, um, that is okay. Uh, but consider then how the entire family might do something together. Um, whether again, that's, um, you know, a daily, every few days, or maybe a weekly activity everyone can look forward to. I've heard a lot of people say, we just don't have the same things to look forward to that we used to. So maybe creating this, um, something like a family game night on Friday night, you know, when the week, week is done, um, work assignments, school assignments, or at least put on hold for a little while or finished for the week. So, um, and maybe considering that each child could take a turn picking that activity. So um, kind of using the creativity to figure out how to, to carve out those things. Um, and again, realizing that um, each uh, family might have uh, certain challenges or barriers, but um, trying to work through those to build in that um, positive time um, for the whole family. Thank you, Dr. Harder. I really appreciate that. Um, the next couple of questions we have are kind of go hand in hand, um, really about um, having a child who has one of the rare neuroimmune disorders and just being very concerned for their well-being, both physically and emotionally. Um, one, if someone has an immune compromised or an actively immune suppressed child because of their disorder, they're already feeling that pressure. They already have so much on them um, that's so different from their peers. And how does a parent convey to their child, um, especially in the younger age groups, the necessity for, you know, taking appropriate precautions, maintaining distance, um, when they already have so much more that they're already concerned with. And then on the, you know, other end of that too, um, someone who's concerned about their child who's already being treated for uh, depression and mood um, concerns because of the diagnosis that they've experienced. Um, how do they know when that becomes worse and needs medical or counseling attention. Um, they're just concerned for their child that they're slipping into a deeper and darker depression. Um, any any yeah. thoughts on, on those? Oh, definitely. Um, I might actually start with the second part and then kind of go back to the first part. So um, 
I appreciate uh, the question highlighting our um, young people and even our adults who might already struggle with um, a mental health condition. Um, so, you know, we're all experiencing a wide range of emotions and uh, trying to adjust emotionally, um, but we're especially aware of those who um, already struggled um, before with something like depression or anxiety. There's also the situation where a stressor like uh, the COVID-19 crisis has resulted in um, significant emotional distress that kind of puts us past a tipping point where we need help. Um, we need help from uh, someone outside the family, uh, perhaps. So I think, you know, uh, this is a, an especially important time that we're checking in with our loved ones about how they're doing. You know, as before, we want to monitor um, for significant changes in behavior, um, you know, voicing concerns about death, dying, or uh, harming oneself, um, it might be hard for uh, a parent or a loved one to determine if it's time to ask for, for professional help. And you might need assistance with that. Um, maybe the person already had a, a mental health care team, um, psych psychologist, psychiatrist, other uh, mental health professionals. Um, so I want everyone to know um, that our mental health um, workers have been uh, working diligently to create access um, through virtual means to our patients and families. Um, and they're also working to break down barriers with insurance companies to make sure these services are immediately available to those who need them. Um, whether that's uh, reconnecting with a provider you've worked with for a long time or setting up um, a new relationship with a, with a provider, um, and, and if any of you are wondering kind of what that looks like and you maybe haven't had this experience even with a medical provider, this could be something that takes place over the phone or through a, a video conferencing application. So um, I would say um, best to stay in close contact with any um, mental health care providers, even medical teams um, to help you uh, reach an appropriate provider um, to address these very real and significant emotional difficulties, um, again, that may have been pre-existing or that may have emerged um, in the context of, of what we're all um, living through. Um, and then thinking about um, conveying the gravity of the situation, especially to our young people with um, these rare neuroimmune conditions, I think as we've um, articulated earlier, it's important to kind of strike that balance between sharing the seriousness of the situation and balancing that with what your child can understand and even manage emotionally. So uh, parents and caregivers are in the best position to know their child and um, know those kind of um, specific details about their child. The book that we've mentioned already um, by Malia Jones, a kid's book about COVID-19, I think does this really excellent job at providing information, um, but doing doing so in a way that kids can relate to. Um, and so I think anytime we're trying to convey something um, serious or difficult um, or kind of hard to wrap your mind around, um, finding a reference point that all of us can relate to, that kids can relate to, which is having the cold or flu. The book does that. They use that as like a, a, a hook to then explain to kids how this is different, how COVID-19 is different from that, 
but how, you know, just like cold and flu, we can spread from person to person. COVID-19 does that, but then, you know, on another level. And so um, giving those, and it's got great illustrations to kind of go with it. So starting in a place that they can really identify with and understand from their own experiences and then carrying that forward. And I think one of the most important things we can do is empower each and every person and especially our kids. Um, so it's talking about the problem, but then pivoting um, quickly to what we can do about it. We all have a responsibility in the fight against uh, this virus. And I think it's really um, key to to let our kids know what they can do um, to to play a role in this fight that we all share in the community. Um, so being physically distant from one another, washing our hands, all the things that we're hearing um, from the CDC and others. So it, I think it's also a time to emphasize um, the social responsibility that goes with this um, uh, to, to others and to ourselves to keep everybody safe. So those are some thoughts um, uh, as related to those questions. Great, thank you so much, Dr. Carter. Um, and then we did have some questions about, you know, if there's any specific activities or games that are effective in reducing a child's anxiety. And then, you know, with all this extra screen time that kids are having, you know, through school or also just, you know, being at home and not being able to do as much outside, um, you know, will this, you know, increase anxiety having all this screen time? So I, I can talk about some some activities or games that, you know, your listeners might might help you might find helpful. So, you know, with the very young children, not forgetting to, you know, take time to to play, uh, to do what, what they do best. So, and, you know, in, in remembering that children often try to make sense of what they see and what they hear through art and creative play. So kind of making things available to them that that um, is conducive uh, to, to playing. Things like, you know, crayons and markers, um, you know, costumes so that they can role play. Um, this kind of play really serves an important purpose because, you know, this is how children tell their stories. This is this is their language. And, you know, we do the same thing when when, you know, we discuss our experiences and stories with, you know, a friend or family. And then for for older children, you know, you may want to encourage them to keep a journal. Um, my 11-year-old daughter um, has has a journal, and she's called it her pandemic journal. <laughs> and so, you know, she she got to decorate it, which adds to the appeal of this activity. And then, you know, together, so in, in this journal, you know, she writes down her thoughts, sometimes daily, not always, sometimes it's every other day or... Uh, as as much as she feels that she needs to, whenever she needs to, you know, go in there and express some of her thoughts and feelings. And sometimes it's just, you know, she goes in there and she just writes what she did that day. But, you know, the cool thing about this is that, you know, later together, you can kind of take a look, uh, maybe at the end of the week and and together identify themes in the journal and talk about them. You know, so for example, some of the themes that, you know, my daughter and I found in her pandemic journal were uh, themes having to do with fear and uncertainty, um, feelings like frustration, longing for friends, 
but there was also hope and, and themes of love and family. And you know, this this activity really uh, opens up communication and let lets me into her, you know, internal world in a very, you know, kind of different way. Uh, so those things might might help your listeners. Yeah, and I would um, add to that um, almost anything that creates distraction and fun. I think maybe we've all caught ourselves um, in a moment of distraction where we've forgotten about this whole thing, even for a second, you know. Um, there are so many different games. Um, maybe you, you know, have some that you haven't played in a while that you can pull out. I think um, also any games that um, promote movement and activity can be especially helpful right now. Um, just keeping in mind, um, you know, that emphasis on exercise and, and how we know that has a positive impact on mood. And we use the word exercise, but it can really just be um, any movement at all um, can be very, very positive. Um, going toward the, the question about screen time, I, I think we all know too much of anything is, is probably not, not good. Um, but I think we all need to just really consider the context here. Understandably, we are all probably on screens more than normal. And that's um, a product of uh, that remote working from home, remote school um, and entertainment, right? We all need something to focus on and, and to, to do. Um, you know, I think um, things like Netflix are getting a, a lot of traffic right now. So um, I think it is a good time um, to still remain mindful about screen time, but um, you know, be realistic and understand that this is just, this is a unique time that won't last forever. Um, and then take breaks, give your eyes and your brains a break from the screens. We all do need that. Um, you know, to the extent that we can create some boundaries um, it is a, a good idea. You know, we talk about, um, just on, on a regular day when there's not a pandemic, we talk about turning off screens an hour or two before bedtime. And um, if this isn't possible, you know, some people like to watch something before bed or um, use, a, use an app on their phone before bed. So maybe consider even um, the applications that, or the phone settings that are often built in that reduce our, the blue light. Um, as you move closer to bedtime, um, because this can really stimulate our brains and keep us awake. And as we said at the very beginning of this podcast about going back to basics, sleep is, is our friend right now. We really need our sleep just like we always do, but um, we don't want to compromise that um, because our schedules are, are off or we're, we're looking at screens more. Um, so those are some thoughts about, about that. Thank you both so much. And that was incredibly helpful. Um, and we're kind of coming to the very end of our time that we have available, um, but we have a, a few more questions if we can um, hit on those a bit. Um, the next two um, are kind of similar again, um, starting with the quarantine having caused the cancellation of many important, sometimes once in a lifetime family activities graduations, sporting events, vacations. Uh, do you have any recommendations on how we should handle our children's disappointment when it comes to um, missing out on those and not knowing if they will be rescheduled or be able to happen? And with everyone working from home, people becoming unemployed, children who have extra medical needs, um, and everyone just being home, um, with parents struggling to get that time away, that self-care or um, 
just feeling incredibly overwhelmed and so much more stressed than usual, um, if they're barely holding it together, how do they keep from breaking down? And if they do, is it okay for their kids to see them break down? Um, I can take that that first part um, of the question regarding, you know, how this uh, quarantine has caused cancellation of many important things. So for many, the most painful part of the corona, you know, the coronavirus crisis is losing these important experiences from high school sports seasons to proms to cheer competitions, theater productions. I mean, high school and college graduations. So this is this is really it's a hard time, and and there's so much uncertainty. We don't know uh, what to expect. So while there, you know, we're all missing out on on very valuable activities and and milestones. Uh, but I think giving them giving kids room to share their feelings and listening without judgment uh, while validating their feelings. Um, you know, some, some of, uh, you know, some kids are worried about missing activities, you know, that are, that, you know, are going to help them with college applications and scholarships. Kids are understandably wondering how this will affect their futures. So again, giving them room to share how they are feeling and, you know, acknowledging the real stress, you know, that, that they may be under and validating their feelings, you know, might, might help. And then, you know, expressing confidence in, in their ability to kind of rebound and trying to stay positive and, and thinking about the future um, are things that, that might help. And I'll chime in to that. I've uh, noticed, I'm sure we've all seen examples of people um, reinventing special occasions. And, um, you know, it, it's heartwarming to see how people are finding ways to connect and to celebrate milestones, even when we can't all gather together um, like we're used to, to doing. And so um, bringing that creativity in again, whether that's through our, um, you know, technology, um, you know, if it's uh, we've seen these kind of birthday parades where cars drive by, yeah. decorated cars and. Um, you know, just really using this as a time to, it's a, it's a challenge, right? It's a, uh, giving ourselves the challenge of how are we going to mark this moment? Because we're not just going to sit home and pretend it's not happening. How do we mark this moment in our own special way with these new rules we have in place? And um, using that challenge to really drive the, the creative um, solutions to this. And um, I personally have been really touched by all that I have seen um, people doing in this in this arena, and I think we can apply that to um, you know the graduations and the different things that that are are coming up. I know um, seniors and, and many others marking marking these big milestones have really been on my mind lately. Um, but thinking about ways we can salvage this and mark this, and and it we're never going to forget it. I mean, we will never forget. Yeah. Um, the way that we modified ourselves to to celebrate these things. Um, picking up to some other parts of um, of the question, um, you know, I will say this. I mean, thinking about um, how do I um, keep myself in a good place to take care of others, to to hold it together. Is it okay if um, you know? 
my kids see me break down. I mean, I think um, this question, the questions around finances, all of these um, are really excellent questions that are highlighting the multiple stressors that are kind of coming down on us right now and um, that are impacting so many in our community right now. Um, I want to really emphasize something I talk about a lot um, and I hope I can take this from just a, uh, in theory, this is a good thing to do to really practical, um, practical ways to do this. And you, you've all heard maybe the phrase caring for the caregiver we may have overused this example, but on an airplane, it's why we are told to put our mask on before helping others who need help from us. Um, I know that it's a hard time to think about caring for ourselves when we are in a caregiving role, but even if it's taking those few minutes, like we mentioned before, if that's in the shower or the bathroom, closing your eyes, taking those deep breaths, um, any little thing you can carve out to take a moment, even working on those thoughts that I mentioned early on, replacing negative thoughts with more positive ones or mantras like, you know, I can do this, we're gonna get through this. Um, thinking about um, the positives, which um, can be hard to identify at a time like this. Um, I wanna uh, just really emphasize that and even that it might be time to consider reaching out for help from a professional to access support. I mentioned earlier that our mental health resources have quickly been positioned to honor physical distancing practices and our insurance companies, um, many of them are working with us to, to make this change and to make sure these virtual visits are covered. And um, I think going to our medical teams um, and, and um, any place where we receive our medical care, and I'm thinking of children's as an example, but around these financial stressors um, really leveraging any access you have to say a social worker through your medical team or even the schools. I heard a, a finance expert talking recently about, you know, this is happening to everyone. I mean, this is happening and financial stressors to a very large subset of the population. And so going to, um, you know, mortgage lenders, the tax office, different agencies to work out things with them um, during this time. I mean, I've heard these, uh, recommendations made over and over. Um, I will again highlight uh, social workers as being um, such an incredible resource and again maybe accessing that through um, medical teams or schools. They really stay on top of current resources um, and may have some really helpful suggestions right now. Um, I know we're also uh, pushing things out to the SRNA um, to add to the website and I, I know we want to do that today uh, for a lot of the, the things that um, Anna and I have highlighted today. So hopefully um, some of these things provided a, a practical, um, some practical ideas um, to work with as we um, move ahead here. Great, thank you so much. And, and just to end, I know we're at the end of our time. Is there a way to manage kind of being informed but not feeling overwhelmed by too much information? So kind of striking that balance between get, you know, having what you need to be an informed person during this pandemic, but also not feeling completely overwhelmed by the information. Yes, yes, I think probably all of us have been thinking about how to manage this and balance this. Um, as you said earlier, you, you all are the gatekeepers. I want people to feel empowered to manage what enters their homes right now, um, especially in the way of news. Um, and I, I think, you know, um, this has probably evolved and changed for different people. Um, I have heard of, of many, um, I've, 
taken on this practice myself, restricting the amount of time that you tune in for updates. Um, maybe that's a 30-minute news show, a trusted news source that you have. Um, but I would also say, while watching, monitor yourself. Each and every time you're watching the news or taking in this stressful information, monitor your reaction to that, the reactions of your family members. Be willing to turn it off and walk away. Um, because, you know, new, depending on how you are in any given moment, the news may hit you a different way. And so just having that plan of I'm going to allow myself X amount of time, maybe you check in in the morning and the evening or whatever works for you. But also knowing if this starts to affect me in a way um, where I feel myself uh, becoming significantly more anxious, um, I'm going to um, step away um, and, and tune in another time. So. Um, those are some things that um, I think we should all be considering right now because it is a lot and it seems to be on 24 hours a day. Thank you so much, um, both of you, Dr. Hardery and Dr. Hernandez, for joining us today. We sincerely appreciate it and all of the the thoughts and advice and resources that you offered. I know this is 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 just an intense time for everyone. No one is is spared from from going mm -hmm. through something right now. So we really appreciate your time and your commitment to our community. Um, and thank you again. And I I wish you both the best as you continue to to work differently now <laughs> um, outside of clinic. Um, and thanks again very much. Thank you so thank much you for so having much. us. It was an honor yeah. to be here. Yes, thank you so much for having us.